Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I hope you had a wonderful Easter last Sunday. It was so fun to be on social media and see so many people posting pictures and videos of families and friends coming together to worship. I know this is a tough, tough situation, but you are making the most of a difficult situation, so I appreciate that so much. And I also want to extend my appreciation to the RPC staff who have really shifted gears really quickly um, to start doing our ministry that we're called to online and virtually, so thank you to them. I want you to also know we had people from all over the country worshiping with us, people in Virginia, New York, New Jersey, Washington State, North Carolina. In fact, we had people from all over the world, places like the Ukraine, the UK, Canada, Sri Sri Lanka. I mean, it was incredible to see all these folks coming together. And I believe people tuned in to roswellpress.org not because of the quality of our service or you know our, our flashy media, no, but because of the good news of the Easter message. And we're gonna continue looking at that Easter message today and how it can impact us. Easter wasn't just an event that happened 2000 years ago, but it's the kind of event that changes the future, it changes the very nature of reality. It's how like when you go to a wedding and you get married, it isn't a single event, your whole life has changed. Or when you have a child and you have a child, guess what? He's there for good. These are the kinds of events that Easter is. It changes the very nature of reality. It changes the way we live. So let us look at one of the implications, one of the great texts of Easter. It comes from 1 John 1. We believe 1 John was written at some point in the end of the first century. And the letter is wrestling with misconceptions and distortions of the gospel, of the resurrection message. John is trying to set his readers and put them back on the right track. So let us look now from John, 1 John 1, 1 through 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. We declare what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments that you might be our teacher, that we might hear your spirit speak to us a word that only you can speak. Lord, we ask that your spirit might bring that word 2,000 years, that we might see how the resurrection changes our life, not just 2,000 years ago, but today and into the future. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever played 
the telephone game. Here's how it works. You sit in a circle and one player comes up with a sentence and doesn't tell anyone. I've always liked the sentence, if I could go back in time, I would yell at Bob, it's a trap. But you can do it with any sentence really. Once you have your sentence, then you whisper the sentence to the person to your right. That person then whispers the, the sentence to the person to their right. You do this until every player in the circle has had the sentence whispered to them. And finally comes the last person. And that last player then says the sentence out loud to the group. What's interesting is to see is how the sentence has changed from the, in the transmission as it's communicated from player to player around the circle. Usually it's pretty funny. But what the game illustrates is the slippage in meaning that happens when transferring a message from one person to the next. This can happen in several ways. First, when I whisper Bob and someone hears Rob, already our sentence has, to, has a totally different person at the center of it. Little changes in details can lead to great changes in meaning. If every person let a, a little detail slip, the entire sentence will be changed a lot. Another way a sentence can change is that you could have a, a few rogue participants who intentionally change the sentence to try and have fun or mess up the group. I will put myself in that latter category. Well, we have the same problem in our transference of the gospel message. Gospel in Greek is literally euangelion, and it means good news. It was a word that was referred to a kind of a military word that a Roman general would be out at war and when they would win the battle, he would send a messenger with the euangelion, the good news back to town. And so they would go, a trumpeter would go up high into the city and blow his trumpet to announce that the, the army was returning and they were victorious. This is good news, let's celebrate. Because that message demands a response, it's important to get the message right. Our passage today is concerned about getting the message of the resurrection right. It seems that people in the community the letter was written to, were, there were people there trying to change the message. They were misinterpreting it, mistranslating it. The writer of 1 John wants to clarify the message and make sure everyone is on the same page. The author of John, 1 John writes, We declare to you what was from the very beginning what we have heard and what we've seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. See, one of the popular heresies that was going around at the time was that people got the message of the resurrection wrong. It's called docetism. Docetism raised the question, did God actually become human in Jesus Christ. And Docetism's most famous proponent was a guy named Apollinaris. He taught that there was a hard distinction between the, the material and the spiritual world. And there was this common belief that God would never enter human reality. God wouldn't dirty his hands. He wouldn't stoop so low. So Apollinaris taught that God was hidden in the body of Jesus. In a way, God kind of wore human flesh like a cloak but was unscathed and unaffected by humanness. Orthodox Christianity taught that that was wrong. It was the exact opposite was true. It was an intentional, um, essential tenet of our faith that God became human in Jesus Christ. God raised Jesus from the dead. To miss this point 
is to get the message wrong. And 1 John wants us to get the message right. So the question becomes, do we have good historical reasons to believe the truth of this message? I think we do. I think there are four major reasons why we can believe this, this message is true. It's not like resurrections first were happening all over the ancient world. So why should we believe that Jesus died and was raised to new life? I think we have good reasons to believe. Reason one, we have the testimony of the women. Last week, we looked at the fact that John's gospel reported that Mary Magdalene was the first person to look in and see the empty tomb. She even talked to Jesus too. In Matthew's gospel, he also highlights that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. In that society, women were outsiders. For example, in Jewish law, a woman's testimony was not accepted in court because, quote, of the levity and temerity of their sex. Yet, the New Testament says they were the first witnesses. It's highly unlikely, if you were going to make this story up, that you would have the women play leading roles in the story. The fact that the Gospels record it this way lends evidence to the story's historicity. Why else would they say it happened like this? It wouldn't do them any favors. Reason number two, the resurrection changed the day these Jews and future Christians worshiped on. As the Gospel of Matthew reports, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, and points to when the resurrection happened. See, ordinarily, the Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, but from our earliest evidence, after Jesus' resurrection, Christians began to worship on Sunday. Not on Saturday, but on Sunday, the first day of the week. They changed the day they worshiped on because Sunday is resurrection day. If it happened like the Gospels say it did, it's the most important day in human history. Why would they change the day of the week for worship if Jesus had not risen from the dead? Number three, there were numerous witnesses. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15, three through six, he says this, I, had, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Paul says, more than 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. Different people in different places saw him and experienced him. Paul says, many of these people are still alive. Go ask them for yourself. Remember, this is not an everyday occurrence. Everyone was blown away just as you and I are. First John seems to say the same thing. We bear witness, he says, to what we have heard and seen and touched. This was not a collective hallucination. It was a miracle. Reason four, we have the witness of changed lives. Many of the people who witnessed the resurrection were martyred for their Christian witness. Stephen, Peter, the apostle Paul. They died so that the, God, the story of God raising Jesus from the dead could be shared and passed on and on so the good news could be proclaimed. The first witnesses started living differently. They started social programs to feed the hungry and meet the needs of the material poor. 
people who were outcasts in the Roman world of the first century, like widows and orphans, slaves and women, aliens and foreigners, were ministered to people who believed that life had triumphed over death. They could face death courageously because they believed death didn't have the final word. They believed that the God who had created the world had now created again. And just like God had done at the beginning of the world, so too now God had created life out of death and called it resurrection. This is good news. First John is saying the same thing. He says, if you're going to talk this resurrection talk, then you have to walk the resurrection walk. The resurrection changes our lives. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. In other words, Christian faith is not just an intellectual experience. It's a way of life. It's to be lived. The first witnesses to the resurrection knew this and we should know it too. Imagine if you asked ask me if I love my wife and I went to the filing cabinet, pulled out our marriage certificate and said, see, it says we're married. No, you would say. A piece of paper isn't love. You'd want to see the way I treated her. See, love and resurrection is our ways of life. And when we live that way of life, it makes a difference. And people want to ask why we are different. They'll say, why do you tell the truth? Why do you show love to those who are downtrodden? Why do you demonstrate a life of generosity, compassion, and grace? Why are you loving and joyful in the midst of a miserable pandemic? think we should live our lives in such a way that demands these kinds of questions. And so when people ask us those questions, we can answer because of the good news, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great reformed theologian Karl Barth was once asked by a skeptical professor from East Germany. The professor asked, how is it that such a learned, civilized, intelligent man like yourself can believe in something like the resurrection? Bart replied, because my friend, my mother told me. <laughs> he could trust his mom because she loved him. He knew she had his best interests at heart. He trusted that the good news had changed her life and could change his. Resurrection changes our lives and how we love others. And when we do this, John says, we will have true community with God and with one another. Notice what the writer of 1 John says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. This word translated fellowship in Greek is koinonia. It means deep, intense community. It says that once the light of Christ's resurrection shines down on us, we can't help but have our community transformed. We, yes, we will be transformed personally, but we will also be transformed communally. Down in middle Georgia, outside Americus, there's a, a farm called Koinonia Farms. It was started by a, a man named Clarence Jordan. I heard it, hear it's pronounced Jordan in those parts. He wrote the Cotton Patch Gospel, mentored Millard Fuller when he started Habitat for Humanity. The farm is a place where they hold all of their possessions in common. They grow and sell pecans. They work for racial reconciliation. Clarence once called it a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God. It's truly inspiring. 
See, Jordan was inspired by this word koinonia. It's more than just fellowship, it, like having drinks at the bar. No, koinonia is a deep, passionate concern for our friends. It's a way of life born out of the belief in the resurrection that we are not meant for death, but we are meant for life. As we collectively come together and center ourselves on that great truth, it changes the way we interact and relate to one another. At Roswell Presbyterian Church over the past couple of months, as the world began spinning and people were losing their minds and anxiety and fear were seeming to fill up our hearts, we stepped aside and said, hold on, let's think through this. How do we respond from the perspective of resurrection? Well, as we said, first, we need to check in on the congregation. Let's have all the elders and Stephen ministers call and check in on everyone, every single member. Second, we need to make sure we take care of our most vulnerable. So our mission outreach team get, got together and gathered food. They packed backpacks full of items that people needed and then they distributed them to our mission partners. Third, we need to have a daily connection with our community because we know people are going to start feeling alone. We started the daily, daily devotional closing the distance. Well, fourth, we're going to have to figure out how to do virtual church. We're going to have to have online Bible studies, communicate with phone calls and FaceTime and Zoom and WebEx, and we're going to have to do it really quickly, and we're going to have to learn fast. And we did it. And why were we able to do it? Because we're not going to give in to fear. We believe in the courage that comes from Jesus Christ. Because we are not going to give in to hate, we are people who believe in the strength of love because we are not going to give in to death. We believe in resurrection. This is what it means to live the resurrection that 1 John talks about. This past week, I rediscovered a poem that is fantastic. It doesn't rhyme, which always makes me a little suspicious, but this one holds up. The author is Wendell Berry, who's a farmer and a writer. Berry has written over 40 books about ecology and sustainable agriculture, the pleasures of good food, poetry, and spirituality. He is a national treasure. For the past 40 years, he's lived on a farm in Kentucky. And from his experience there, he writes with great wisdom about simplicity, generosity, sustainability, and yes, resurrection. One of his great poems is called Mad Farmer's Manifesto. It's a long poem, so I'm only gonna read a few brief excerpts from it, but you can find it free online if you'd like to read it for yourself. Listen to Wendell Berry's great poem. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all who cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. He goes on, expect the end of the world. Laugh, laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. And then he concludes, concludes the poem with these words. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction practice resurrection. Friends, here we are. Let us let the light of Christ's resurrection shine into our present moment, no matter how dark it may be. Let us find the faith, 
hope and love of Jesus Christ inspire and motivate us to love deeply, to give generously, and to trust in the God who has sustained the church for 2,000 years. In other words, let's live resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that the power of your resurrection, that light of life might shine into our present moment. We might fill, it might fill up our hearts. It might inspire us to live lives of love, to be transformed, to live resurrection. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.